and thank you for listening to or downloading the Dairy Dialogue podcast as we head towards the end of May. This is podcast number 83, if anyone's counting. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and before we get to this week's guests and this week's news, we have another holiday coming up in the UK on Monday. It will be different from all the other days in the week in that parents won't try and get their kids to do some schoolwork, and there'll be no mail, except email, which doesn't respect any holidays. But there will be a Dairy Reporter newsletter Monday, regardless, as not every country has a holiday. In fact, most don't. As for the week, well, plenty of rain here and a bit chilly too, and I still have the bird's nest outside of my office window. It's pretty much impossible to record when they aren't making a noise. I think they've got a camera pointing into my office, and as soon as I hit the record button, they start chirping. So if there is a bit of background noise, you'll know what that is. I tried using a filter on the computer to take out the background noise, but that also altered my voice. And while it sounded very funny, it definitely wouldn't have been a good idea. It's also been a very, very busy week for interviews here. I seem to be doing a lot of them for the podcast, which is good, and it means for the next couple of weeks we will probably be running with four guests instead of three. And the four guests are... I'd do a drum roll, but that would mean running down to the garage and getting my snare drum and upsetting the birds and every neighbour in the village, so we'll pass on that, I guess. The guests are Borden CEO Tony Sarsom, Kyle Tigerson, Director of Milk Sourcing for Lactalis US Yogurt, Robin Scales, chairman of the Stilton Cheesemakers Association in the UK and also director of Cropwell Bishop Creamery, and Makey Tolman, newly appointed CEO of The Collaborative. And of course, we also have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INTL FC Stone. And the backing vocals, if you can hear them, are by The Four Starlings, which would be a good name for a band. Alright then, let's take a quick look at this week's news, and as seems to be the case recently, there's a lot of it. I won't tell you all of it, because firstly it would take a while, and secondly, you might not go and read it. So, we've had more articles on how dairy companies are helping with the coronavirus pandemic efforts. Christian Hansen has signed a green energy deal. Valio is making biogas from manure. Smitten Ice Cream has partnered with Perfect Day on a vegan line, and the DFA has started its 2020 Accelerator class with nine companies. DuPont has launched Bon Lacta in North America for the lactose-free market. Serafina Therapeutics has introduced a very interesting newly discovered potential essential saturated fatty acid in butter, which wasn't easy to say. AAK has joined the Good Food Institute India to drive innovation in India's plant-based foods category. And DS Smith has launched an e-commerce range in the UK to support businesses during the crisis. The UK dairy industry's £1 million campaign is underway, and it's called Milk Your Moments. AVT Reliability is offering free thermal imaging support to help keep workplaces safe. And DSM has just launched some new mozzarella cheese cultures. You can read more on these stories and more stories on DairyReporter.com. And so we should get straight to this week's guests, seeing as there are four of them. First this week, Borden Dairy has been awarded the U.S. Department of Agriculture's largest contract through its new Farmers to Families Food Box program as part of the Coronavirus Farm Assistance Program. 
And to answer all our questions about the program and how Borden fits into it is the company's CEO, Tony Sarsom. And first, I asked if he could give us a little background on the assistance program. We bid on that and won a bid and the opportunity to serve our communities with this program, which I think is really terrific. It's a great idea that the USDA is putting effort into because in this transition about how people are eating, there is a combination of both, one, different eating habits because people who have been actually been eating either at a school or at a restaurant are not, do, not doing so. So there's different food groups, and that has particularly left stranded a lot of fresh food. Uh, so there's less consumption of fresh foods like fluid milk and like vegetables. And it has created a, a real need as you see people who are, who are uh, out of work, unemployed, underemployed, there's been a rare need for food assistance. So you think if you marry those things together, I think this is a really great way to uh, help serve those communities. With the program, you're going to be working with around 16 states. How is that going to be logistically? Yeah, so for Borden, we can get anywhere in those geographies that we bid on. We can we can quite easily access them. We have our both big rigs that we drive over the road, and we have route trucks that we can get into nooks and crannies. So getting to, from point A to point B is not a problem. So the way this program works, you get the license, if you will, to go donate a certain amount of milk, and the government will reimburse you for that certain amount of milk that you, you've donated. You know, there's no clearinghouse for where how you actually access those folks. I mean, hundreds, if not thousands, of phone calls they're making right now trying to find out who can take it. And it comes with all variety of issues like, you know, there's folks who are just learning about the program, and so we're working with them. Um, there's folks who don't have cold storage on site. Right, so uh, this is a chilled product, and that presents some challenges. And there are, there are folks who are just ramping up their own charitable efforts, and they don't know how much they can take or what they can commit to. So all that work is being done now to, to find uh, connections with the right organization and get this settled. So our work has been mostly with food banks. So I think something like seven of the top ten uh, that we've got commitments from so far are food banks for a geography, like there's the Food Bank of North Texas, the Food Bank of Houston, the Food Bank of... North Carolina, you know, so it's those types of organizations, but we're throwing the net pretty broadly and trying to figure out how we get this milk in the right hands. And are there any logistical problems in terms of like social distancing and getting it to the into the food banks? Or obviously you've got different measures that you have to take. Yeah, so we're, we're quite experienced with that. We didn't shut down for a minute during this uh, pandemic, so our folks have been delivering to, and we, we're, we're direct store delivery, so we, we our folks drive right to the back of every one of our stores and unload the milk and wheel it in and put it on the shelf. So we are in constant contact with our customers and with the public in that regard. So we've we've already taken all those precautions and those measures. So we've got our our rubrics and our guidelines and you know, masks and sanitizer and all that stuff. So we're set up for that. And, we, and what we found is that all the food banks are also they've also got all their measures set up to make sure that we're safe. And I guess different states are approaching the lockdown differently. Has that provided any issues at all? No, it, it's because we know them uh, already. So, and it's not just states; it seems like cities. I mean, within Texas, we have a, a branch, for example, outside of Laredo, Texas. And when you cross into Laredo, which is not a gigantic place, <laughs> you cross into Laredo, the rules change, and then the rules change about what kind of mask you can have and all this stuff. So, these things crop up, and they're announced, and we know them. So. We are primarily serving food banks in locations that we know well, in, in towns that we operate in, but not exclusively. There's a new place we're going to, and again, but we've, we've learned over these few weeks how to be nimble, understand the nuances of the rules, and, uh, and remain safe. I guess throughout this whole process, 
even before the this assistance program and since the assistance program, there's not really any rule book for this. You're kind of having to make a lot of decisions on the fly. How has that been? That is absolutely correct. And that's true of everything in this, everything from forecasting our business to you know, which customers are going to be looking for more milk, which ones are going to be having less. There's no rule book. There's no precedent for this. So we have to learn as we go. And we'll, you know, I make this comment quite a bit, but we will learn. We're going to be transparent with our learnings with all of our stakeholders, with our employees and our suppliers and our customers. And we're going to, as always, we're going to reserve the right to get smarter. <laughs> so we, and we will. And we'll figure out if we learn things, we'll adjust to, to the new realities. But I think that's true of everybody in business right now and in and, and, and every walk of life, frankly, that this is new, it's different, and we're learning about it uh, as we go. What are the uh, the details of the program? I see 700 million servings of dairy. Is that right across the country, or how much of that are you doing? Yeah, that's just for Borden Dairy in our geographies. We were granted that, although we're only working on the first wave of that right now, to be clear. So the first wave of that is about a quarter of it. So there's like, you know, call it 175 million servings, something like that. And then, uh, and then there'll be subsequent waves, another three waves that come after that in roughly eight-week uh, increments for the balance of the year. And so what other companies are doing the same thing in different states? Yes. Yeah, they've broken it into like regions, so they've broken it into multiples of states. And so you're granted the ability to sell into that region. Borden only serves about a third of the country. And so the regions, which will include a few more states because they're not, they're not precisely aligned, might cover, you know, call it maybe uh, half the U.S. population. Is this something that has really helped your company to get people back at work again and help the farmers with a source for their milk? Yeah, so importantly, we've had very few furloughs here at, at Borden, uh, probably in the neighborhood of 3 or 4%, and then the, the rest of us are all working. And we have a lot of hourly people who are working on uh, more limited shifts, though. So this, what, what this will do is it provides more work, and, and, and more, with more work, it provides more hours. So those folks have more stability and better paychecks, and that's obviously a great way for them to have more stability for their family. For our farmers, our demand is down on fluid milk, so if our demand is down and we don't take as much from our farmers, that presents real problems for them. Uh, as I mentioned to somebody here recently, you can't just turn the cow off. It's going to continue to lactate. So this provides better stability for them. It's more milk volume. It's more consistent volume. So it really helps out the independent farmers that we work with as well. And lastly, I'll just make a comment that here at Borden, we have a very strong sense of our culture and our, you know, we're, we're on a mission to make a difference for our customers with great service. And we, and we take that servant's heart thing very seriously and, and we marry that with this idea that we're always going to be a people-first organization. And that's for the people at Borden as well as for the people in our communities. So there's a real sense of vocational pride and purpose that comes with being able to work and work in a way and work not just to keep the, the food supply in America going during this difficult pandemic, but we're also helping out for folks who can't get access to food. And, 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 that, and that work is also energizing and rewarding. So that's a benefit that I can't, that, that I can't overstate. It's, just, it's really important in times like that, that to have that, to be able to tap into that sense of purpose. I suppose it's at times like this that you, like businesses have been going on for years and years and years just doing the same old thing. But I, I think it kind of, as you were just saying, it brings home exactly why you do this in the first place. It's all about people on both ends of the scale. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 
how long is this going to be? Is this something that the uh, that the USDA is going to revisit after a certain period of time, or do you not know that yet? Well, they're going to revisit in each one of these waves. They allocate for wave one, and then they come back and revisit it for wave two. They told us that we would have uh, all of the volume, but they still have to solidify that in each one of these waves. So, and I don't know, you know, what, what's unknown at this point. And I would suggest through this process, I mean, they will also reserve the right to get smarter. I imagine. I don't think they're going to back off uh, on the program, but they make tweaks. And then there's an open question about well, what, what happens when the 30 weeks are up and we get to the kind of the end of 2020. Is this uh, will there be a need to re-up it or not? You know, that's that's also an unknown. Well, it's definitely a, a good program, and it's great that companies like yours are able to step up to the plate and make a difference for sure. It is. It is. It's, and it's, uh, it's our pleasure to serve. That's sort of who we are. In the UK, the coronavirus lockdown obviously affected a lot of businesses and continues to do so. A few weeks ago, we ran an article about the French public being encouraged to buy French cheese, which makes sense. And of course, that's also the case in the UK, where consumers are being urged to buy local and buy British cheese. One group doing the same thing is the Stilton Cheesemakers Association, which promotes the British cheese Stilton. With sales down due to the closure of many different markets, the association is also urging the public to buy the classic PDO cheese. To tell us what the issues are and how they're responding to them is the chairman of the association and director of Cropwell Bishop Creamery, Robin Scales. I first asked if Robin had seen any movement to more purchases online because of the lockdown. Yeah, I mean, online is definitely the glimmer of hope that we have at the moment. I mean, our online sales are doing, are doing well, I mean, from a low base, but they must be up seven or eight times what they were pre-COVID. But that's still not really any compensation for all of the lost sales. No, no. But what it does, it does tell you that, you know, you've got loyal consumers out there hunting your product down. So that is reassuring, I suppose. There are very few positive outcomes in any of this but i think hopefully our online business will continue to flourish and you know will continue to hold those sales now and you know going forward so maybe it's just given sort of online deliveries a proper i don't know what you call it shot in the arm i suppose that it needed to take off because you know still there's still most food bought in this country was done um you know in store only 10 12% of it was delivered online or delivered, um, was was ordered online and and delivered. So um, I think what we may find going forward is that more food is now delivered and ordered online. And um, Ocado sales will certainly tell us more about that when they release their figures, whenever they do. Are you seeing collaboration between, obviously you have the Cheesemakers Association for Stilton, are you starting to see Mm. collaboration between different manufacturers and not necessarily within cheese, but seeing collaboration so that you can get more product to consumers? We are not, but then we we are quite niche and we're quite small. It's not to say that other businesses aren't. I mean, as an association of Stilton makers, we are communicating with each other more often than we have done and I think that's a good thing to talk about the loss of different markets for for our cheese because yes we all work in different businesses and in fact we're all competitors with one another but we do have a you know a common goal and that is to promote Stilton 
I think that's been a good thing that's come out of it is perhaps more communication and more honest talking between the Stilton makers. I think that's a good thing. What kind of hit have sales taken? Are you still obviously able to sell to retail? So food service and catering and, you know, obviously hotels and restaurants, all that um, area of the market and airlines. A lot of people forget airline catering is huge. Absolutely huge. If you flew on British Airways or Emirates or Virgin, you know, on every flight, if you fly in business or first class, you get a cheese, you get cheese boards. There's all that business that we've lost out on. Um, British Airways are a huge supporter um, of, of British cheese and Stilton. So that's a big area of the market that certainly hit us. Also, the mass catering in those airport lounges, that's no longer happening. So I suppose the problem is across the board, consumption has gone down. You know, we probably all consumed too much prior to COVID, prior to the lockdown, but consumption across the board has gone down. And uh, a lot of food manufacturers who supplied into that area, the wholesale sector, are hurting because, you know, consumption in that area has is, is just ground to an absolute halt overnight. It's hard to replace those sales in, in retail because there's nowhere to expand into. Yes, you know, shoppers are buying more. They are buying more from their local supermarket. They are buying more from their local farm shop. But that won't replace the loss of the huge sector that is wholesale and, um, you know, restaurants, hotels and food service. What about exports? Is, is Stilton exported much? And if so, what's it done to, to that market? So exports a bit of a funny one, and it? it's an area we're trying to learn a little bit more about. I mean, we're quite strong. Stilton is, is very strong in export markets. It's a very sought-after cheese, especially in America and Europe, funnily enough. So if there's a cheesemonger in Paris, um, if they have one English cheese, one British cheese, they will have Stilton. You know, we export Stilton widely across Europe, across America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the Caribbean, Southeast Asia, Japan, South Africa, you name it. Stilton is very successful in the export market. And just like in the UK and Europe, you know, shopping habits have changed over the last six or eight weeks. And the wholesale sectors have shut down in those areas as well. So, you know, we're being hit just as badly in the US and Europe as we have been in the UK. I think there has been, and it's a good thing, I think, but we may suffer for it, but there has been a movement to buying more local products. So that's great for our business in the UK, but not so good if you're supplying a, um, a foreign cheese into America, for example, or Europe, because there has been a big focus in France to just buy French cheese. Definitely. Yeah, I, I covered that a couple of weeks ago. I, is, yeah. there, is there anything similar that you're doing with Stilton? Obviously, it's kind of hard to get the message out in some yeah. respects, but then there's well, social that, that... media. Yeah, I mean, that's our job. So our job is to try and get the message out there to buy British cheese and support the British dairy farmer, because that's what it's all about. So we are trying to get that message across. And that is the purpose of our little um, PR campaign that we've all decided to buy into, is trying to remind the, the, the consumer in Britain that, you know, we make some fantastic cheese. You know, Stilton is you know, the best blue cheese in the world. It's our most popular blue cheese. Buy Stilton, don't buy a continental cousin. For example, I don't know, you know, Santa Gerra or Gorgonzola. Buy Stilton. You know, that's our cheese and that will support British cheesemakers and the British dairy farmer. 
So that is a message that we're trying to get across to all our consumers and consumers up and down the country. But it's a big challenge, but we'll do what we can to try and promote Stilton and, and remind the public and, and all consumers out there that you know British cheese is, is the best. And um, when you buy into British cheese, you don't just have a lovely product, but you also support that dairy farmer you know, who's supplied the milk that's gone into that cheese. And are you collaborating with any of the other makers of different artisanal cheeses? Yeah, we are, we are. So I sit on the um, Specialist Cheesemakers Association Committee as well. So I'm in, in good contact with everyone involved in that association. And, and we represent, on that association, we, we represent the majority of smaller cheesemakers in the UK. By running a campaign on Stilton to try and remind the consumers about English cheese in Stilton, we also, in turn, should help and remind everyone about British cheese in general and that we should support that as well. So I think the message is the same from everyone involved in British cheese. You know, try and support British cheese where you can and buy British where you can because there's too many continental cheeses on those supermarket shelves. And funnily enough, if you go into a, a farm shop or a deli or a small independent shop in, locally, you're much, much less likely to find continental cheese. You're much more likely to find local British cheese. But you go into the supermarket and the shelves are adorned with foreign cheeses. So we have to remember that a lot of British cheese is supported and sold by these wonderful farm shops and delis up and down the country. So we need to support them. And what kind of things are you doing? Is it like a social media campaign? And... Yeah, well, we've done quite a lot on social media. There's been a lot written in the last couple of weeks. There was a, over the VE Day weekend, uh, there was a campaign run entitled British Cheese Weekender. And it was all about, you know, trying to drum up support for British cheese. There were sort of online tastings and things like that that people could get involved with. So that um, attracted quite a lot of, lot of attention. And then just recently with some of the, um, the press releases that we've managed to get out there with Stilton, then that campaign has sort of picked up again. So it's a bit of a sort of snowball effect, really. We hope it continues because we have to do what we can to encourage everyone to, to buy British cheese, you know, including Stilton, but also including the fabulous small cheesemakers who make great cheese as well. And have you started to see any um, results from that yet, positive results? We've had a lot of interest. We've had a lot of media interest in it. But from a sales perspective, you know, that will take time. I think talking to a number of radio stations yesterday and hearing some of the people who are ringing in and listening to some of the support behind Stilton and, um, and British Cheese, I think there is... There's something out there and, you know, I just believe the public, you know, are very supportive of it. And it's just up to us to just try and, um, you know, remind them. It's all about just um, repeating the same messages over and over again, I suppose. As we, we talked about earlier, the fact that eventually we will come out of this, it's good to have that momentum and have that to keep things going as you move forward once we do come out of this. Yes, that's true. That's true. It will benefit the industry as, as we move out and um, as we um, go back to normal, in inverted commas, whatever that is. Now it's back to the US for The Collaborative. It's a UK company that produces plant-based yoghurt alternatives and in the US it's called The Coconut Collaborative. 
although it's going through a rebranding to become just the collaborative. To tell us more about the company and its products, and what changes are being made, is the newly appointed US CEO of the company, Makey Tolman. So how long have you been with the company? I joined uh, kind of unofficially uh, quarter four last year, and I joined full-time, uh, not not like I joined officially, uh, like in quarter, end of quarter one uh, this year. Oh, okay, great. Congratulations on that. How is it going so far? Amazing. It's really exciting. It's going great. We are growing very fast and the growth is a healthy growth, which means that it's really uh, driven by the consumer who loves the product and they are growing same store sales or what we call here in the US dollar per PDP which is the most important measurement you want. So, because many, many companies in launching into the U.S. making the mistake of just growing distribution, growing ACV and growing ACV. And what we are focusing is, for, is on growing our dollar per TDP. So we show that we're growing the category and that we bring value to the category and that we are a player that is here to stay and to continue drive future category growth. It's one thing to put a product on the shelf it's another thing when the consumer are buying it and buying it again and again. It's from world, from, mouth, from world to mouth, it's just growing because we don't have marketing budget, any, any significant marketing budget. It's really all about the people who love the product. And this is what people are telling us. They taste the product and they say, wow, it's really great. They cannot, they cannot imagine that plant-based yogurt or dessert can be so tasty and so delicious. They write to us. They and they buy it more and more, which is really all. The other thing that I say many times, people do their consumer studies and this. I said the best consumer studies is with the wallet, right? Wherever you invest your money. So when you buy again, again, and buy more and more of this product and tell your friend to buy the product, that's the best evidence that you are, that you are really, you have something with the potential to become really, really big. And this is why I joined the company. And this is why that we have now a uh, great uh, uh, partner and investment group, Power Plant Ventures, who are specialized in investing in uh, plant-based uh, food companies only. And they invested in Beyond Meat. So it's really now for us, it's about expanding distribution and expanding it in the right way, meaning that we are not interested, and, and I say many times, and I tell to the team, saying no, it's a very good way of doing business, you know? If, so, if we are, uh, so if we are getting an offer to put two SKUs on the shelf, we will say no. Or if we'll get offer to put two SKUs on the shelf and the price point will be too high at the, the specific retailers, we will say thank you, but it's not the right way. It's not only for vegan or for people or for plant-based uh, consumers. It's for the wide variety of people who are like uh, there are about 54% of Americans who want to eat more plant-based, and we we bring an answer for them. So really, looking for retailers who will give us the brand block. We'll put our a nice brand block of uh, 10, 15 SKUs on the shelf. We'll have the right price point. We'll work with us really to bring plant-based moment of joy to America. And what kind of products do you currently have on the market in the US? We started with uh, really like four or five SKUs that were like uh, three yogurts uh, in 4.2 ounce cup and like two desserts product. And now we have six SKUs currently, actually as we speak now, eight already. But uh, we had till now, we had six, which is four yogurts, 
the plain vanilla, the uh, blueberry, and the mango, uh, in 4.2 ounce, only single serve. And they, we had two uh, dessert, chalk pot uh, desserts that uh, uh, that are it's a Ganesh uh, that Ganesh pudding, which is a UK style pudding. This is uh, what we had now. We are adding by the end of uh, quarter two, beginning of quarter three, we will be with the uh, sixteen SKUs, and uh, by the end of the year we'll be with twenty or close to twenty. So we are really uh, moving fast because based on the success of the of the start and because we want to bring really to bring to the uh, consumer variety that will give them answers to different demand moments, different usage occasions, and then we'll get the brand block together with it. And what we are launching now, a very interesting product, we're launching first of all the multi-serve on the yogurt size, which is a 12.3 ounce product. And uh, we will launch the second half of the year on the yogurt side, we will start to launch a real exciting functional product, which is high fiber and high protein product that are really and really tasty. So, which will be complete breakthrough product. So this is on the yogurt side. On the dessert side, we have our two uh, chalk pots that are that are continuing, and then we are launching a rice pudding, which is again it's like less like 40% less sugar than the equivalent rice pudding, plant-based. And then we are launching a mousse, a double mousse chocolate pudding, and we are launching a light pudding. Right. And there's a rebranding as well. What's the reasoning behind that? So the rebranding, rebranding is a little bit of a harsh word, I would say. I will call it more of a transitioning or transforming or sharpening our message. So when I joined the company with the name is the Coconut Collaborative, and when I spoke to James, the founder, and the marketing people that the agency that worked with him, I was asking him what was behind it. And I say, really, the, the, the heart of the business is about collaboration and about, and about plant-based. This is really the roots of the, of the brand. And we are collaborating. We are partnering since the, uh, in the last five years since the company started. We, and we continue with it with Poor Projet, which is a project that supports uh, sustainable farming in the, where we are sourcing our coconut from and supporting the farmers there. And we are collaborating with many other com companies and collaboration is certainly a big part of our DNA as, as an organization. And plant-based is really who we are. So when we looked in the f into the future, we said, you know, coconut is great, but coconut is an ingredient. So let's focus on really who we are, which we are a collaborative and plant-based company and take the coconut, keep the coconut as, a, as an important ingredient, but it isn't granite, and in the, we are launching, for example, an oat product in quarter two. So right now we are the collaborative, and uh, and we are a plant-based company, and uh, and according to it, we'll, uh, we are moving forward. But we are certainly we certainly keeping the heart of the brand and the heart of the uh, essence of the company, and actually strengthening it and amplifying it. Are you seeing any growth because of the coronavirus epidemic, because of the move to healthy food? What I see since the coronavirus hit, I see that it's just accelerating. With that, I will say that what we also see, because the coronavirus, the way it hit the United States, it was so, it was so challenging for the supply chain, that the supply chain for the, if I look at the past six weeks or what, since it all started, there was a lot of focus on the essentials. 
So, you know, there was a big, uh, and I spoke to the distributors, uh, and, and I want to understand because we suffer a lot from out of stock, and we get a lot of requests for, uh, from consumer where I can find your product. And the situation in the United States supply chain was that, you know, they had the same amount of warehousing, the same amount of truck, but suddenly they got a surge in demand and they just had to decide what they're loading the truck with. And they loaded the trucks with essentials. So we certainly suffered in the last uh, couple of weeks uh, significantly from significant out of stocks. And we know it also because we have merchandisers visiting the stores and we saw the, how the out of stocks, how significant they are. So, so we know that this is uh, the situation. We do, we did also stopped all our sampling and all the activities that are taking uh, engagement uh, that are and that are that are relative to kind of thing where we stopped any engagement with the consumer because of the pandemic, of course, and we took all the other steps uh, that we uh, donated the products to the health warriors and directly, and we donated product with other plant-based companies. But certainly, to your point, there is the demand is going up, and the supply chain is challenged with that. I think that there are things that with this pandemic will they made a tick changing the kind of they took us forward in time for a couple of years this is one of them i think social media online selling i think many people maybe that wouldn't think about online selling that they are not in the right age or they don't in the right mindset suddenly they had to try it and they say you know what it's working it's actually kind of convenient and they will continue to do it so i think that many things will uh, will uh, will stay with us and will uh, the pandemic will influence that um, and many of it is for for the better staying in the us another company helping with the fight against coronavirus is commonwealth dairy llc producer of green mountain creamery yogurt commonwealth dairy is a part of lactalis in the us and it has partnered with a whole host of organizations and other companies to help support the Vermont Food Bank. To tell us more about the efforts is Lactalis U.S. Yogurt Director of Milk Sourcing, Kyle Tigerson. Could you perhaps start with a little bit of background on who all of the partners are in this project? Yeah, you know, you know, the funny thing about the state of Vermont is whenever something like this happens, everybody knows one another, and so really how this collaboration started was a couple emails and a couple phone calls. And then it migrated into, you know, a larger group meeting of saying, how can we help a variety of different things that is happening to our community? So obviously the Vermont food bank played an important role in this. They're seeing their need for their services increase by about a hundred percent. So obviously that, that was the need farmers because of COVID, you know, the, the distribution challenges that we saw, you know, everybody going from working to basically stay at home. We had a lot of distribution challenges with regard to the fluid milk side specifically. So a lot of milk was being either repurposed that normally would go into fluid. We had some instances where farmers were concerned that some of their milk might be dumped. So we really had this conversation with Dairy Farmers of America and said, you know, how can we help here? And then the Agency of Agriculture got involved. Uh, Anton Tebbets, who's a really great guy, um, him and I had a conversation. 
And uh, he's like, well, you know, I might be able to access some additional funds through the Vermont Community Fund. And so really it was all of these people coming together and saying, hey, how can we help meet our neighbors' needs, help our farmers make sure that their milk is being processed to the, you know, to wholesome dairy products that need to get out to these people. And so really it was a grassroots collaboration. And what what are the details of the collaboration? What kind of uh, difference are you able to make locally? So what we're doing currently is we had one load of milk that came into Green Mountain Creamery. We're converting that to roughly 4,000 12-count cases. So it's roughly between 42 to 48,000 single-serve cups of yogurt. Because obviously, you know, one of the other challenges that the food bank has is they don't have unlimited refrigeration storage, right? So when you look at trying to impact people, fluid milk has a set expiration date, but we can extend that shelf life through the use of yogurt. And so what's happening now is we're going to produce yogurt on a weekly basis. The Vermont Food Bank will come in and pick that yogurt up on a weekly basis and therefore not have to utilize all the refrigeration space, but at the same point in time, be able to get that product directly to the people that need it. You, you'd never really think about storage. I mean, you, you think about storage in terms of sort of big warehouses and, and things, but when you're talking about perishables like right. dairy products, it adds a whole new dimension into the, the challenges, I guess. It does, uh, and it's actually a win-win for the food bank because when you talk to them, they're like, you know, we know we can handle six pallets a week, and we're like, okay, well, we'll get you six pallets a week, and you keep coming until that 4,000 cases is up, and then at that point in time, hopefully we can leverage some additional resources to do it again. The farmer's role in this, obviously there's less demand for the, the fluid milk, which is why it's being turned into other products. Are they they're not donating their milk? They're getting paid for this so through the funding? Yeah, what we're trying to do is keep everybody whole, right? And so, you know, Dairy Farmers of America is the cooperative that represents the farmers that we work with at Green Mountain Creamery. And so we've been working through them. And, you know, basically, if if they have to do all these alternative uses for milk, then there's balancing costs that hit the cooperative that basically filter out to all the different farms that are members of that cooperative. So what, in, what we're trying to do is make sure that the milk is being paid for and the farmers are kept whole because they're also a critical component as far as being our neighbors too. And so that's really, really important. And the other thing that I would say is, you know, the demand for fluid milk has not gone down. What we've seen in the conventional marketplace is when COVID hit, you know, 10 to 15% of our milk volume basically is used by the food service industry. And so when food service industry all of a sudden stopped, right, you had this excess milk on the marketplace. And at the same point in time, you know, grocery stores and other places were putting limits on how much milk you could buy at the store. So if if a family went in and said, hey, I want to buy six gallons of milk and we're only allowed to buy two, then what happened is the computer modeling that kind of feeds your orders said, well, we only had two units go out. And so they would order two units to replace instead of actually seeing what's happening in the store, because there was plenty of milk that he had. It was just a matter of that distribution and processing type of response was delayed. This is a Vermont project, or is it extending to other parts of New England, or are the other New England states doing their own thing? 
So this is a Vermont-based project, obviously, because you know it's it's kind of neighbors helping neighbors. Um, we do have some interest from the state of New Hampshire as far as trying to figure out how we could potentially do something similar as this program and replicate it in the state of New Hampshire. Um, in the meantime, you know, one of our other sister companies, Stonyfield Organic, um, because we're all under the Group Black Palace label, right? Um, they've actually been really good at handing out some extra donations to healthcare workers, essential staff, um, and those types if we do have some extra yogurt that may not be able to go through the distribution chain um, and making sure that we're taking care of those people that are taking care of us. It's a great thing that everybody's doing as well, rather than just kind of sitting there and throwing their arms up in the air and saying, what can we do? You know, it's great that companies right. are getting involved. Right. Uh, in terms of the logistics of everything, obviously there's still a lockdown in many states and there's social distancing. And how are you finding that in terms of the whole process? Is, is it a big challenge? Well, you know, the one advantage we have is being a dairy company. So, so our sanitation and processes and SOPs and everything else that we attend to because we're dealing with milk and cultured milk products is at a very high level. So we haven't had, knock on wood, any issues with regard to our plant. We haven't had any disruptions to our supply chain. So, you know, our farmers are remaining healthy. Obviously they're masters at social distancing in the state of Vermont because they don't have many people stop and knock on their door. And then we also have our truck drivers that are delivering the milk to the plant. You know, they've been healthy, so that's good. Um, but at the same point in time, you know, we are taking preventative measures. You know, we are doing temp scans for people that go into the processing plant. Um, all non-essential office personnel are working from home out, out in their hayfields like myself. So I think we've done as much as we can do to make sure that everybody is safe, everybody is healthy, and at the same point in time, making sure that these healthy dairy products are provided to people in need. How long do you think the operation is going to be in place? Will, will you be able to keep this going as long as you need to, do you think? It's often the first step that's the hardest, right? And now what we're seeing as a result of this is that other community organizations are reaching out to the Agency of Agriculture and saying, how can we help in this process? We like what we're hearing you know, is there financial support that we could potentially offer in addition to the funding that you found to help this continue? And so it's truly a grassroots effort when you think about it from that perspective. So I'm extremely hopeful that, you know, once we get this first run completed, that we'll have the opportunity to continue to make a difference locally. Do you, do you think that this is something as well that, that we're seeing an awful lot of goodwill and we're seeing an awful lot of companies and individuals really step into the plate when it comes to some of these issues do you think that even when we come out of the other end of this that there'll be a bit more awareness and a bit more community-minded spirit among everybody that that will continue i hope so you know my perspective has always been that you know all business is local business whether you're a, a small you know, mom and pop business or a large conglomerate, you have to take care of the people that are local to you first. And if you do that, then people will recognize that and your influence can spread. And so I think people are paying much more attention to where their food is coming from, 
the people that are behind that and that I don't think is going to go away. But at the end of the day, you know, it's about doing the right thing. And, you know, when you see a need like this and you see people that are your friends that have never had to go to the food bank before and being like, you know what, I just lost my job. I need to do something, you know, I need to make sure that I'm getting healthy food for my kids. I mean, it it hits home when you drive and you see a school bus in front of you stopping at a a small house and four kids are out there and they get a box of food through the school lunch program, that's when it hits you. And if you see that once, it's not about the thanks. It's not about, you know, how it's going to benefit our company. It's not about any of those types of things. It's like, how can I make a difference? And if all of us within the organization are seeing that same thing and taking that same initiative, then it helps our communities. It helps our companies. And most importantly, it helps the people that need it. Kyle was actually speaking to us from a farm in Vermont, in the middle of nowhere pretty much, and sent a photo of where he was afterwards, and it was really beautiful, not that I'm jealous or anything. Definitely an amazing part of the US, and not just for the fall colours. Okay, now it's time for our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INTL FC Stone. We've continued to see both butter and skim milk powder prices get very strong in the past week. In spite of the coronavirus situation where we're being told we should expect a recession or depression that we haven't seen, let alone in decades, but probably centuries. All this occurring at the height of uh, peak milk production in the Northern Hemisphere. So we've seen butter in quarter three up around 150 euros to around a 3300 level, 3310 level. Quarter four butter is up around 200 euros to 33.50 level. And quarter one is up around 250 euros to 34.70 level. We've seen quarter two also similar price increases, uh, trading around the 35.20 level. Skimmel powder has had similar strength in, in the market. We've had uh, quarter three has been trading around 2200, uh, which is up around 180 euros maybe on last week and um, quarter four has been trading around uh, 22-25 level up around 100 euros. Same for uh, quarter one and quarter two where they've both been up around uh, 60 euros, 50-60 euros. So say quarter one trading around 22.70 and quarter two trading around a 23.10 level. Whey has also been getting a, a little bit stronger in light of uh, recent data saying uh, quite a lot of uh, exports uh, going to China, trading around the 740-750 level. Thanks Liam, we'll talk to you again next week. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's it for another week of the Dairy Dialogue. I hope you enjoyed it, and the birds are finally quiet. My voice has probably sent them to sleep, or to the pharmacy. No shortage of upcoming interviews for the next few shows. I've already done two, and I've got six more set up. And, like today, some really interesting subjects. If you are in a country with a holiday coming up, hopefully you're able to enjoy it. Here the forecast is, of course, for rain. So not sure if I'll get a long walk in, maybe as far as the fridge. 
On the bright side, there's actually some sport to watch now, which is definitely a bonus, at least for some of us. And I've pretty much run out of all of my music DVDs anyway, so it's good timing. So, until next time, have a great week, stay safe, take care, and, as always, thanks for listening.